Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Is losing weight among your New Year's resolutions? It's one of the most common pledges we make, but also the most broken within weeks. So how do you keep your motivation? Our guest today believes that gardening can help you not only lose those extra pounds, but maintain a healthy weight for life and improve your well-being. Hello, I'm Miranda, and today I'm chatting to Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, BBC One's Doctor in the House and award-winning author, about his inspiring new look at the benefits of gardening and the science behind how it makes us healthier and happier people. I started by asking him why he recommends gardening as a way to lose weight and lower stress. Thank you very much, Rongan Chatterjee, for joining me uh, this afternoon. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, not at all, Miranda. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. And it's brilliant to be talking to, to yourself as a doctor, as somebody who's growing vegetables, and, and you can talk to us about some of those benefits. So you talk about how doctors are largely taught to cure illness through treating symptoms, but when it comes to chronic lifestyle-related conditions, this doesn't fit. Would you recommend gardening to anyone struggling with weight or stress yeah absolutely i think i think it's a great question miranda and i think you know as doctors we're we're very skilled at certain things we're very good at acute problems but i don't think we're as good at chronic problems that are basically the bulk of what we see now and i think about 80 percent of what we now see as doctors is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles i'm not putting blame on people i understand that life is tough and it's stressful and it's challenging But nonetheless, that is the truth and that's the reality. Where does gardening fit in? Well, gardening absolutely fits in because there's this growing um, movement called social prescribing where we're realizing that actually, if we recommend a patient does something in a community, in a local community, ideally outside, but not always, there can be incredible benefits. And Parkrun has been a brilliant example of how social prescribing has helped People transform their mental and physical well-being. But gardening is one of those things as well, because um, if you garden, there are so many benefits. Yes, physical activity. You're getting outside. Getting outside is a critical part of our health and well-being, particularly in the autumnal and winter months. Actually, staying inside has lots of problems, whether it's your mood, what's called your body's circadian rhythm, your ability to sleep at night. And in the current year, in 2020, which we've just had last year, a lot of people were doing Zooms all day. They're stuck in front of their screens. They're not even commuting or getting outside to work. And that has a health consequence. So I think gardening can can actually, with one hobby, with one intervention, you can tie up so many different things. Um, And also, I think what's so powerful about gardening is that we've lost a connection to our food. I think one of the, you know, I write books each year on well-being and health. And I was thinking about within it, within it, with the latest book I wrote, I was thinking about, well, why is it we need to be educated so much on food? Why have we lost touch with what was always taught to us by our grandparents and our family? And I think it's because we now, we have no connection to how that food arrives on our plates. We go to a supermarket, you know, we we have a, it's all in plastic, it's covered, we pay money and then we cook it. But we haven't seen it 
grow. We haven't seen it start as just a seed and get bigger and actually water it and tend to it. And I think connecting ourselves to our food will automatically result in an improvement in health. I see it with my kids, right? There's just more connection. And, you know, we have this problem where no one will eat vegetables or certainly a lot of children now won't eat vegetables. There's many reasons for that. But actually, I'd be interested to see a study on children who grow their own veg, whether they don't eat it, because I bet you they will, or certainly more of them will, because there's a connection to it. Oh, completely. And I used to be a primary school teacher. And and the magic in the kids' eyes when they see a flower turn into a tomato, behind the flower, the tomato evolves. They don't understand that connection until they see it. And I think there is that ownership, there's that magic there that you don't get if food's coming off the shelf. You you don't. And you say magic for kids. When I got into gardening in lockdown this year, right, that's magic for me when I see a few months later, oh, there's a whole potato now, which we're going to, we're going to bake and eat or oh, that's that's like real broccoli that we're going to now cook or kale or courgette or beetroot. And then you eat that. I have to believe that there's a different um, benefit for the body when you've grown it with your own hands. And I think it's a wider point, which I'm not sure gets spoken about that much, and that's soil health, right? And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about gut health and the gut microbiome. So this inner world that we have, this inner ecosystem that we have inside us, which is so important now for our weight, our moods, um, our digestion, our joints, our risk of autoimmune disease, our risk of type 2 diabetes. All these things are being linked to our gut microbiome. But the gut microbiome is an ecosystem, just like the soil is, right? If we have healthy soil in the world, and we know that soil has been depleted a lot over the last 30, 40 years, which actually means that some of the fruit and veg that's been grown now doesn't have the same nutrient density as it used to 30, 40 years ago. But I really feel that our internal ecosystem is often a reflection of the external ecosystem. So if we're out there in the soil, we're getting soil under our nails, we're actually connecting to nature, I I really feel that that has psychological benefits, but it also has physical benefits for us as well. So you feel quite confident that the fruit and veg we might grow in our gardens is going to be better for us nutritionally than something we would buy in the shops? Yeah, look, I I can't give you hard data on that, right? So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. But what I will say, a lot of the veg that we buy has traveled long distances. It's sat in storage for a week or two before we even buy it. And then it might sit in our house for three, four days. So clearly there's going to be a different quality to that food than if it's food that we've got in our own garden and actually we've just picked it and then steamed it and eaten it. It's and it, but but I also feel, and this is, you know, I've been practicing now for 20 years as a doctor, and you go into medical school and you things are often quite black and white. But as you go through real life as seeing patients, you learn that nothing's black and white. Everything's more complex. Different things work for different patients. And I think there's something to be also said about not just looking at that apple or that piece of broccoli and going, what is the nutritional um, makeup of that? How much magnesium is in there? How much selenium is in there? Right, we can measure those things. But I think Einstein says not everything that that we can measure matters and that not everything that matters can be measured. 
right? And I love that. It may not be Einstein, so if, if, if that's someone else, I'm sorry that I misquoted. But I think there's something about gardening and actually picking it and eating it that we can't measure with a nutrition label, right? right. I think it's, it's bigger than that. It's much more, as you said, magical than that. And I think if we can get our children more connected to food and out growing and having a connection to where food comes from, I think it's going to be better for the planet. I think it's going to be better for our own individual health and well-being. I think it's going to be better for society. And I think with the younger generation, I think that really is the risk. I mean, we're a similar age and I think we were bombarded with enough processed food and all the rest of it. But I think every generation has even more sort of pressure on them from sort of difficult lifestyles, um, convenient food. Do you think children need to be doing more gardening or growing more fruit and veg? Is that something we, we need to be seeing happening? I, I think 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, and having, look, my, my son is 10 and my daughter's seven. And during lockdown, we, we've done bits and bobs over the last few years, but I think the start of lockdown, like many people, was it made us relook at the world and how we view things. And we dug out a bit at the back of the garden, put a vegetable patch in, really started growing stuff. But we included the kids along the way. And the kids have been responsible for watering, for looking and checking. And it's a fun thing that we do together. And then when we pick it and we eat it together, it's like, oh yeah, we grew that. And it's, you know, obviously I, like all parents, are trying to do the best that I can. But I really believe that that is likely to have an impact as they get older and go through life. Now, it's really interesting that my dad, who, um, dad died, actually, it's almost eight years now. Wow, time goes fast. He was a very keen gardener. So he worked, he was a consultant uh, physician. So he worked at Manchester Royal Infirmary. He was very busy. He worked four nights a week for 30 years. Um, But he was a keen gardener. Even on the rare time he had off, he'd be in the garden, he'd be clearing up. He'd have a greenhouse. He once, he once actually started growing. I remember this as a kid that he wanted to make his own wine. So he had all these books in his room, and there's there's grapes that he would grow and make his own wine. And, and what's really interesting is in 2020, in lockdown, I get more into gardening. But I think, oh, you know what? Dad's greenhouse is just sitting there because Mum still lives there, and it's only five minutes away from me. I thought it was just sitting there doing nothing, and I almost felt. Man, he used to care and tend for this greenhouse with love. And so I went back in. I started to resuscitate it. I've got a, I think I've got a nice photo of me and my daughter one day. We went and spent the whole day in there. We were starting to plant things and put the tomatoes back in and put the um the bamboo sticks that were still dads that were still lying in the greenhouse. I thought, yeah, I'm just gonna reuse them. And I felt a real connection to my dad. We it's the same soil, the same bamboo sticks, and then in uh, November of 2020, I popped round and grapes were there. Like I thought, wow, my dad must have planted this, I don't know, 20 years ago? And there were grapes there and I picked them up and I I shared some with my, my kids. And I thought, I mean, this is pretty special. You know, this is a, a plant that my dad put in the ground that was giving him grapes while he was alive and he's not here anymore, but I'm still getting grapes from the same plant. And for me, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm almost sounding quite spiritual about this, which is, I kind of I, I think 2020s have been a reflection of that for me. I've really been thinking about life, but I feel the real connection to my father, 
to the ground, to nature. And I actually think that these are things I didn't really have growing up. So I really, really feel drawn to it. And circling back to what you said before, it's interesting. My dad would garden, but he did it by himself. But I wasn't included. He Maybe he assumed I wasn't interested. Maybe I wasn't interested. But I never had that feeling of doing that and then eating it. So I'm hoping with my children, by including them in it, maybe there'll be a different outcome in a few years' time. I think that's lovely. And I hope your children continue to grow that grapevine that your father grew. <laughs> maybe they'll end up with a bottle of wine they can give you one day. and it will. Yeah, who knows? I'll remember this conversation if they do, for sure. Oh, definitely. I'll hope for a bottle as well to, a, <laughs> to be sent my way. But I think, no, I think definitely for, for, for many gardeners, there is that spiritual connection to your family or to whoever got you into gardening or even just to the earth and being out there and feeling quite grounded, literally. I think that is very, um, very crucial. Are there... It sounds very general to ask this, but you're the doctor. Are there, so which illnesses do you think gardening can benefit and how? Yeah, I think there are so many because, you know, gardening has has multiple benefits. So I think mental health and well-being, which is at crisis points at the moment, it was pre-2020, I think 2020s and all the lockdowns will and has made it worse. And that's one of my big worries for the next few years. I think we're going to see a mental health epidemic. I think gardening can absolutely help with that because it takes you outside your own head. You're starting to do something that's bigger than you. You start to care for something, tend for something, and it gets you outside. We know from the science that being in nature lowers your stress levels. So there's a hormone in the body called cortisol that's a primary stress response hormone. And actually, when you go in nature, cortisol levels start to go down. It's absolutely incredible. So stress in itself drives lots of different conditions. In fact, the World Health Organization a few years ago called stress the health epidemic of the 21st century. I wrote about a lot of that in my second book, which is The Stress Solution, all about stress. But I made the case in that book that stress can drive you know, 90% of what a doctor sees Type 2 diabetes can be linked to stress, obesity, gut problems, insomnia, hormonal problems, brain problems, memory issues. You can make a very strong case of how stress can certainly cause or at least significantly contribute. So if that's the case and your stress level is doing that, then getting out in the garden and your stress levels come down also means that you can impact that wide variety of different conditions. And so I think I think gardening can help with a lot of different conditions. Is there any tips for going out into the garden, maybe with, with partially in my head thinking, okay, I'm doing this to try and distress. Are there any things I can do while I'm outside gardening that will maximise those sort of benefits that you're talking about? You know, it's really interesting. I think just being out okay. will make all the difference. We know that even looking at nature... So if you just stare at a tree, right, you just literally just stare at the greenery in the trees, you're also going to lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol, even if you're not moving and gardening. And we think it's because of something called fractals. So have you heard of fractals at all? No, no, I haven't. So fractals are this geometric shape that you only get in nature. You get it in grass, in leaves, in trees, in rivers, and coastlines. You don't get it you don't get fractals in any man-made um, 
substance like a building or a table or the inside of your house, you don't get fractals. And when a human eye sees a fractal, something incredible happens and the levels of cortisol start to drop. So I would take the pressure off. People say, get outside, even if it's just for five minutes, playing around with the plants or watering. You know, I think, I will say that I think a lot of people might feel a bit of pressure about gardening. You know, I know at the start of lockdown, I was like, man, I should know how to do this, but I I don't. Like, so I was on Google and YouTube. And I was thinking, well, what do I, how do I plant a potato? How deep does it have to go down? Simple things that I don't know. And I think, so if anyone's listening to this and they're sort of thinking, I want to get out into the garden, I would just say it doesn't matter what you do. Just get out there, get in the fresh air, get your hands dirty and see how it makes you feel. Oh, completely. And it's your garden at the end of the day, isn't it? I think completely people feel marginalised by, you know, oh, I'm not doing the right thing. And there isn't, it's up to you and we learn through doing, don't we? But there will be people listening that don't have access to a green space. I mean, that is the reality for a lot of people. And we talk about younger people as well. They don't have a garden. What about houseplants? You can't quite see from here all the houseplants surrounding surrounding me. Are there benefits in having houseplants? Yeah, absolutely. If you've got a houseplant and you look at it, that's a human eye looking at a fractal. That is also going to reduce levels of the stress hormone cortisol. You've got to remember, humans have evolved in nature, right? We've yes. we've always lived in nature. It's only relatively recently that we've now become disconnected from nature. So this year, I've started, by, by starting out in the garden, I've now brought a lot of houseplants. And you know what? I go around and I check and I water and sometimes I forget and I see and I think, okay. And it, the environment is a big issue, right? It's people are talking about the environment all the time. How do we live in harmony Uh, with the planet. And I think the biggest problem is that many of us are disconnected from nature. So we don't see nature as being a part of us. So if you live in a high rise and you have no houseplants, you have no access to gardening, and you're surrounded by urban sprawl, and then you hear people talking about the environment and plastic ending up in the ocean, and you live miles away from an ocean, I think half the problem is, is it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel as though it's my problem. And I think getting out and having some houseplants, gardening, starts to connect you with nature. And I, I, I tell you, Marana, a couple of years ago, I started to do an, uh, an event called Swim Run. I'd never done open water swimming in my life. I entered, I entered an event. I had a panic attack in it because I was like, oh, I can't see the bottom. And But I completed it. And it changed my life. And how it changed my life is you. I'm in these gorgeous locations, swimming, running, getting back in the ocean, swimming, seeing nature, seeing the fish, seeing the coral, seeing it all. And I'm like, I'm part of nature. Like, I'm not separate from nature. And I think I was relatively environmentally conscious before that. But since then, I'm on a different level. That's not come from a rational argument. Right, that's not come from reading another article explaining the benefits. No, that's because I feel different. And I've noticed that with patients as well. We don't learn and we don't change behavior just with what's in our logical brain. You've got to help people feel different, right? When they feel different, they behave different. Um, and, and, in, and in the new book, uh, which although it's 
targeted at weight loss. The truth is it will help anyone who wants to improve their health, their well-being, and their longevity. That is the truth. I help people feel good about themselves straight away with small daily things like gardening, like watering your plants, like whatever it is, those small little things that you do and connect you to nature, you feel better and then you start to act differently. No, and I love the new book. I've been really enjoying reading through it. So um, I'm really pleased. And, and one of the elements I was really enjoying was you talking about food. And a lot of gardeners at the beginning of the year will be thinking, oh, which food am I going to grow this year? So I wondered, because your book is about feeling great and losing weight, which foods, if I grew them at home, might be better for me than if I bought them from a shop? Are there any particular foods, I mean, garlic or onions? Because you do mention ingredients that are beneficial for weight loss. Are there any veg? Yeah, it's a good question. What's going to be better when you grow it at home? Well, I've got to say, I've had some gorgeous ripe tomatoes this year, and I swear that they tasted different coming from the garden than coming from the shop. What I will say about weight loss and just general health or even immune system health is that, as I mentioned earlier on in this conversation, gut health is very important. It's important for our weight it's very important for how our immune system functions. Very important. So what is one of the best things you can do for your gut health? Well, it's have a variety of different fruits and vegetables. A variety is key. So what you really want is rather than focusing on one superfood, it's like grow a variety of different foods and then you can, as they harvest at different times of the year, you start eating because it's the different colors in different plants have different properties, right? So we mentioned, um, we you mentioned, well, I mentioned tomato. So the red pigment in tomato has something in it called lycopene. Lycopene we know is very good for our hearts, uh, for example. The yellow pigment in let's say a yellow pepper has got something called lutein in. Lutein is very good for your eyes. And it's the same for green and blue. So I would say go for different colors. Instead of maybe just doing kale and broccoli and lettuce, and they're all great, and that, but they're all green, right? Try and mix it up a little bit in terms of different colors. Um, in terms of weight loss in particular, you know, I can't honestly put my hand on my heart and say growing this one is going to really help you because weight loss isn't about the magical property of one single food. It's actually about your entire lifestyle. It's about how you sleep, right? If you don't sleep well, and we know this, the science has shown is consistently you eat about 22% more the following day. So if you're not a good sleeper, right, and you're trying to lose weight and improve your health, instead of changing your diet, you might be better off focusing on your sleep and getting outside in your garden, exposing yourself to natural light, that's going to help you sleep, right? Stress. Many people who are trying to lose weight, they think it's a new diet that they need, and they don't. Their diet is fine. But as we've seen in 2020, when so many people put on weight, right, the reason they put on weight, and they shouldn't feel guilty about this, is because 2020 was one of the most stressful years we've lived through. We know that 45% of us eat more in response to stress. So the food they're eating is not necessarily the problem. The problem is the stress. They need a different way of tackling their stress levels. Gardening is going to help you tackle your stress levels, which is, means you're less likely to binge on chocolate and crisps and biscuits in front of the sofa in the evening. So I'm very rounded in my approach. I don't like taking one particular food and saying, this one's going to give you everything you need. I'm not looking at health 
uh, holistically, 360 degree, and movement, right? Movement, as I write in the book, and this is new science has shown this, a lot of us move more to burn off more calories. The truth is, we don't always burn off more calories when we move more. There's a tribe in Tanzania called the Hadza tribe. They're hunter-gatherers. They still live their ancient lifestyles. Their lives are relatively untouched by modernity. They go and they live in nature. They hunt. They have berries. They have a lot of fiber. You know what? They were studied recently. They burn 2,100 calories a day. That's the same as we do as Westerners, and we're sedentary. So what weight loss is about is not necessarily moving more to burn off more. What it's about is sending your body the right signals that show your body you're an active, thriving human who's engaging with life. So I say in the book, move, get outside, not to burn off more calories, but to make yourself feel good, to feel strong, to build up your self-esteem. Because I think for many people, weight loss is not a calories problem necessarily in terms of where they focus. It's a self-esteem issue. And so, you know, I hope that made sense, but I really I really want to take that rounded approach. No, it completely makes sense. And I think what it sort of emphasizes is the levels and the layers of benefit to growing your own fruit or veg. You know, say that tomato, for example, you know, you put it on a plate, you've already been able to limit any pesticides or anything you don't want that's gone in. But not only has it got the vitamins, you know that you've been outside growing them. So if you got better sleep from having gardened the day before, <laughs> that tomato or whatever else, salad or fruit, is benefiting you in many more ways. It is. It's a connected system. Like in nature, everything's connected. And in our bodies, things are connected. And, and, and one thing I always try and do with my books is to bring everything together. And in this new book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, it's kind of... I spoke to a couple of journalists today. It's the first day I've done any press for the book. And... I was nervous, you know, what are people going to think? And they said, Wonga, we love it. We think it's your best book yet. You've put everything in this rounded fashion all together, very easy to understand in one book. And that's kind of what I'm proudest of the most is bringing it all together for people. Um, but I'm sure gardeners already know the benefits of gardening. I'm sure they know and they feel it. Maybe they like hearing some science as well, but I bet you gardeners know the feeling they get when they're out in the garden. It makes us feel better, but I think there are people who maybe are thinking about gardening and thinking, what? how do I justify? We, we've looked at 2020 and, and being in lockdown, but we're still incredibly busy people. And it's something you talk about in the book, about how you can build habits. And I want to ask you about that because a lot of people that I know that don't garden say, I haven't got time. Are there ways that we can build in a better lifestyle that involves things like being out in nature, gardening, into? How do we get it into our busy lives? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a big problem. And I, I actually was saying that I thought back to my dad, who was incredibly busy. And, you know, I wish dad was here now for me to ask him. Maybe I'll ask my mum later. I'll see, I'll see what she says. But I bet you that was dad's way of de-stressing. Like he was so busy, he was working nights, he was back late all the time. How did he have the time and energy, you know, on a, on a day off? But I think actually it probably gave him energy. I thought it probably gave him back that time in terms of calm and respite. Um, in terms of building habits, one thing we do know, and I walk people through this in the book, and we know crystal clear, if you want to build a habit, you've got to make it easy. That is rule number one. It's got to feel easy. The reason it's got to feel easy is because we over-rely on motivation. But what we know from the science is that motivation goes up, but it always comes down. It's called the motivation wave. 
Now, many of us make our health goals and our plans for the peak of the motivation wave when we should be making it at the bottom of the motivation wave. Because if you make it at the peak, and this is classic every January, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spin, I'm gonna go spinning four times a week for the whole year. Everyone does it for the first two weeks because motivation's high. But when motivation starts to go down and real life gets in the way, busyness, tiredness, stress, no one's doing it anymore because it's too hard. So if you flip it and make it easy, so a five-minute workout in your kitchen whilst your coffee brews each morning, like I do, even on a busy day, you still do. I've not missed a workout in three years, Miranda. And that's not because I'm motivated, right? It's because I understand human behavior. I make coffee every morning. It goes in a cafetiere and I put a timer on for five minutes because that's how long I like my coffee to brew for. In those five minutes, I don't check emails. I don't go on Instagram or social media. I do a workout in my kitchen, in my pajamas. I don't even get changed. So I've made it really, really easy. The reason people toothbrush every night and every morning is because that was not a habit when they were three or four. That has become a habit. And one of the reasons it's become a habit is because it's easy. You pass the bathroom, you go in, toothbrush is there, toothpaste is there. It's easy. If one of those things wasn't there, you may not do the behavior. And so if you start small, you can actually build these things in. So let's say gardening, if we want to bring that into a habit. An allotment, great. If you have access to an allotment, great. But if you have to travel to get there, that's going to give you an excuse on busy days. I don't have time. I can't get to the allotment. Maybe it's getting a small herb garden and putting it in your kitchen. Or maybe it's a little mint plant that you can get from supermarkets and you grow it in your kitchen. So maybe every morning, all you do is go there, pick a couple of mint leaves off to make your mint tea, feel the soil, check it's uh, not too dry and it's, it's moist. And if not, pop a bit in. If that's all you do, you're a gardener. You're connecting with nature, right? Everyone's got a kitchen, like pretty much everyone's got a kitchen. So it's about making it really, really easy and removing the barriers to entry. It sounds like routine as well is is helpful in terms of building in those elements. Routine is very helpful. So um, I, I talk about habit change in the books, but rule one, you've got to make it easy. Important rule that people often forget, particularly in January. They think it's got to be really, really hard. But I'll just say on that, companies like Amazon understand human behavior very, very well. When they moved to one-click ordering about five years ago, Profits went up by about $300 million a year because before you had to do check it, go to the checkout, next screen, card details. Every step you have to take is a reason to back out and not make the purchase. So Amazon do this, Netflix, YouTube do this. They understand human behavior. They all know if you make something easy, people do it. That's why that's rule number one. But in terms of what you said about routine, routine is critical for habit formation. And that's because the second rule of habit formation is where do you put that habit or that new behavior in your life? Every behavior needs a trigger for you to do it. Now, a trigger could be your memory. Oh, I'm just going to remember to do that. That works. It's just the most unreliable trigger there is. The next best trigger is a notification. So we had an arrangement to have a conversation now. I had a notification on my Google calendar telling me I had to do this. That was my trigger to have the interview with you. 
That's better than memory, but it's not as good as the very best trigger. The very best trigger, as shown by the research, is when you stick on that new behavior onto a habit that you already do. Which is why watering your plants while you're waiting for your coffee to boil, right? Exactly, because I don't need a notification or my PA to phone me to make my morning cup of coffee. That's going to happen, right? I'm going to go into the kitchen and make it. So therefore, I don't have any cognitive, um, I, I have no load on me to make that decision. So if I stick it on then, it very quickly becomes a new habit. So if people are working from home, it could be maybe before they take their lunch break, they shut the laptop. And if they're lucky enough to have a garden, they go out to the garden, have a little look around, check everything's looking okay. Um, you know, whatever it is, we can do those things. And it's, you know, if, if, if all people take from this conversation, right, if all they take from this, whatever behavior they're trying to bring into their own life, if they, number one, make it easy, and number two, stick it on to an existing habit, I guarantee they will improve their health, their well-being, and the quality of their lives. And hopefully it means we can get more gardening, whether it's indoors or outside. Um, last question for you. I enjoyed reading about herbs, using herbs and spices to flavor food as an alternative to things that might um, be prob- problematic if you're looking to lose weight. Are there any particular herbs you recommend as people looking to grow herbs indoors as an easy gardening option that are really useful? Yeah, I mean, recommending to what you grow. I mean, it turns out one of my favorite herbs, uh, oh, well, her- I should say spice, and it's probably because my Indian background is turmeric. Now, I'm not saying we can grow that. I don't even know if we can grow that in this country. Um, warm glass house. Warm, warm. Yeah, exactly. But but that's a great herb with loads and loads of benefits. Sorry, spice with lots and lots of benefits. So you may not be able to grow, but you can certainly use it liberally in your cooking that's going to help you. There's lots of anti-inflammatory properties. Um, what else? I mean... My, I mean, what what is mint? Is mint a herb? Yeah. I think yeah. mint's a herb. I think mint may be my favourite herb. Um, I've got a little, I'm looking out now, I can see there's a little mint Why? Uh, pot in the kitchen. Why is it your favourite? I love the smell. Yeah. And I've got to say, I love mint tea. It's possibly yeah. one of my favourite drinks. Like, like I, I drink caffeine, but only a small amount in the morning, and then I stop, because otherwise it affects my sleep. But I really like hot drinks. And I always get a bit disappointed with herbal teas. I think I've bought this herbal bag and it says it's meant to taste like this. But when I put, you know, a little bit of mint and add hot water, there's just such a freshness and a lightness. And I think, well, this this is cheaper than anything I'm buying in the shops and it's tastier than anything I'm buying. So I'm a huge fan of fresh mint. And you can use it on salads, um, coriander is another one of my favorites. I remember uh, my mum always used to put it in soups, and um, I love coriander. Like, abs- what what do they call it in America? They've got a different different name, don't they? Cilantro. 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, but those are, those are kind of my favorite herbs. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that's uh, exciting and interesting. That's very people. usable. I'll have to send you some mint. I've got pineapple mint, chocolate mint, strawberry mint. You know, at least again, you're opening up variety, aren't you, to what you can be? Oh, I had no idea you could do all that. Please do. Please do send some. I would love. Uh, do you grow that yourself at home? Yes. Yes. 
Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. But the, my chickens do attack it. So if I ever ate the chickens, they'd be very tasty with all the herbs they they managed to eat. But but this is this is so this is really exciting for me because I didn't know you can do that. And now I'm also doing what many people are thinking, which is, oh, how do you grow that? Will I know how to grow it? Will I, you know, will I get it wrong? Mint is very easy. Everything's easy when you know how to do it. <laughs> but it'll grow well in a container. But that's definitely, oh, I'm glad we'll get you growing some more. But you're growing plenty anyway. Well, I am. But you know what? Not everything turned out well. Like we realized that we had to put some netting over certain things to stop them getting eaten. But you know what? It's like, it's like what I always say to people when uh, they're trying to make health change. I don't consider these things failures. Like every time something doesn't work, it's a learning opportunity. It's like, oh, okay. Right, so I tried my best. Yeah, I had my potatoes this year, had my courgettes, had my broccoli, but actually those plants didn't work. Okay, next year, I'm going to do it differently. So it's a, um, you know, as my son came back from school the other day, I said, daddy, daddy, you know, I learned what fail means. Uh, they told me at school, I said, what? First attempts in learning. I thought, okay, I love it. I love it. First attempts in learning. So uh, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to be like, next year, I'm going to try and do it a little bit better. Oh, and absolutely. And that's the wonderful thing I think about failing at gardening. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. The worst thing is you've had loads of time outside. You've connected with nature. You've lowered your stress levels. You've slept better. You know, it's like, oh, do you know what I mean? And maybe that maybe, if I maybe, as I think that through, maybe we've got it wrong or maybe the emphasis should be on and not the end products that we're going to get. But it's like I, it's pretty much like a rice It's like, don't focus on the destination, focus on the journey, right? Don't fo- focus on the outcome, focus on the process. So maybe gardening isn't necessarily about the gold at the end of the season that you can actually have on the table. Maybe it's the, the struggle, the fun, even on a rainy day, you're still out there getting your hands in the soil. Yeah, I think we should reframe gardening to be to be that, really. Do you think you'll be doing more gardening next year? Definitely, 100%. This year's changed something in me. I cannot wait to get cracking next year and uh, make an improvement on what I did this year. Oh, brilliant. Rongan, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been so interesting to hear such an authority talk about all these elements, things I had no idea about. Makes me feel all the more better for the time I spend gardening. So, <laughs> oh, Well, thanks for having me, Randa. As I say, I've never been uh, interviewed about gardening before, so the pleasure was all mine. Oh, we'll have to have you again. <laughs> yeah, oh, when, I, when I've got a bit more expertise in a couple of years, I'll come back and I'll tell you what I've grown. Might be a book, yeah. <laughs> might be a book. Well, you never know. It might be a gardening book. In fact, that's good. You know, my dad would be very happy with that. So I think I think I might have to start work on that in the background. Oh, brilliant. All right. Thank you ever so much. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. For more information, go to gardenersworld.com and be sure to subscribe now to never miss an episode.